We're very grateful this morning to have with us the Reverend Dr. Steve Fitch. He always calls me Dr. Rank, too, but I'm not really. He is. Uh, and I've had the privilege of knowing Steve since 1984. We uh, came into this conference, and Steve uh, was a pastor at that time in the Cucamonga Christian Fellowship Church. And he and I worked in youth ministry on the conference level uh, for a little while back when we were way younger. And I'm still going, and he's doing another kind of ministry. And Steve has been our superintendent for many, many years. So Steve, I lost count. How many, how many years were you superintendent? 14 years. And so he's been to this church. Some of you this morning, a couple of you said, I recognize you from somewhere. And that's where. He's been to our church before uh, as our superintendent in Southern California. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that Steve has done because I want him to be able to come and to share the word of the Lord. But you, in your bulletin, you'll see a lot of information on Eden Reforestation. And you know that we partner with Jamie and Alyssa Schattenberg in that work as well. And so Steve has been very involved with that. He was back with them in the early days when that was even a, a seed thought, pun intended, uh, for Eden Reforestation. And he's grown up as a uh, missionary kid, had a big heart for caring for God's world, and out of that arose opportunities in Ethiopia, and from there it expanded. So I'm going to end there, Steve, and let you come up and talk. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Well, thank you, Dr. Doug. <laughs> Great to be with you. You know, they say one of the worst ways to start a, a message is to say thank you. Uh, I'm grateful to be here. And I'm tempted to jump over that because it's really boring and you all cut out at that point. But this church has been so special to me. 41 years ago, in that parking lot, I asked my wife out on our first date. That's a little different than most speaker introductions. I did, in fact... Uh, recruit uh, Jamie Schottenberg to be one of our key Eden leaders in the incredibly politically incorrect um, restaurant called Sambo's. Uh, I, I'm glad they've renamed it at this point. That's good. Um, but uh, this is a special place where three of our early on board members uh, were recruited. Hal Conklin, I wish he was here today. Evan Collins, I wish he was here today and then Dodie Orchowski, who will be here today, from what I understand. But I will say this, I am a little nervous, um, honestly. Maybe I don't appear to be so, but um, we, we're living in an era of great political strife and division within our nation. The subject that I bring to you today has caused some consternation in quite a few people's minds and hearts. And I live in a weird space, because. As, as somebody committed to Christ, when I interact with the environmental community, which I do virtually every week, they think I'm too religious. Um, and I don't know what that means. Uh, and then the church, they, some think I'm a tree hugger. I don't know what that means either. I've never hugged a tree to the best of my knowledge. But I will say this, I have no political agenda today. I am not here to guilt trip you. I am not here to bring you any bad news or to make you drive a Prius. That's not what I'm here to do today. 
Instead, I'm here, in a sense, to do a good Baptistic-style sermon. I want to briefly explore God's Word with you and present to you what, how I understand our commission when it comes to interacting with creation. Then I want to briefly uh, point you towards the environmental community and how they approach their commission, if you will, in interacting with the, in, in the environment. And then finally, Eden Reforestation Projects that Doug's already covered, so maybe we can skip that. Let's not. Let's begin. I want to begin, and I'm asking you to read this text with me, um, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Let's read together. Then God said, let us make This church is so good at responsive reading. Well done. That was beautiful. Ah. In the early days of Eden, in fact, actually before Eden was, Eden Reforestation Projects was formed, I was in a doctoral dissertation phase to establish the philosophy, if you will, and, and the, uh, the strategy for the organization. And I was shocked to discover that the environmentalist community leaders, almost every author that I read, specifically blamed and attacked Christianity, most specifically Protestant Christianity, as the cause, the primary cause for the environmental degradation across the planet. And their starting point for their critique was this text. And more specifically, the phrase that says, let them have dominion. What a scary phrase. What a scary phrase. And when you look at scripture, and we're going to look at briefly, um, it's not a confusing text. God did, in fact, according to this passage, give dominion or authority or rule over creation. And that's an odd thing to do from many people's perspective and a terrible thing to do from environmentalist community members because they saw it as God or the manipulation of God, if you will, to misuse creation, to take dominion, to dominate, to destroy, to rape and pillage, if you will, regardless of the consequence. But that's not the way God behaves, and we all know that, don't we? God gave dominion out of his character to humankind, and his character is filled with order and love and responsibility. And you see it in the second creation story, that's recorded in Genesis chapter 2. And you get a chance to read once again. Let's look at that text. The Lord gave, God took, I'm the one that's bad. Let's try that again. Time out. One, two, three. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to fill it and feed it. 
You are so good. <laughs> you helped me recover. Thank you for that. Uh, the garden. So in this second text, it is actually quite different, and I would invite you to reread Genesis 1 and 2 and see the nuances there. And two, we're in the garden. And the Adam, the man, the human, was given that dominion, but in a very specific way. He was to till it, to keep it. Now, what's interesting, in almost every other uh, example in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that's translated here, to keep it, or steward, or to care for it, is to be, in, in essence, to, to, to really carefully be that steward. And what is a steward? A steward is someone who's given responsibility for someone else's possession. And we know from songs that we've sung today and from scripture that, especially the Psalms, that the earth is the Lord and everything in it. And we're to be good stewards. And you could make a case that humanity, not Christians, not Protestant Christians, but as a world traveler and as somebody who grew up in, in an animist culture on the island of Mindanao, I can tell you that virtually every culture on the planet has been fairly poor at stewardship, <laughs> to say the least. But that was not God's intent. We were to be good stewards. And out of that flow of authority, out of that commission that started with God giving dominion, and then that dominion turning into stewardship, there's two very clear outcomes. One is blessing, blessing for all, blessing for humanity, blessing for the earth, blessing for every creature upon the earth, and then, of course, praise, praise unto God as the creator. And those are the two primary outcomes that, that we can see from this commission flow. And it's a wonderful way to understand it, and it's my way, and uh, my hope is that no one here is troubled by that perspective, because I don't have to be right, and if you don't agree, we can just sit down and have a nice discussion, like we used to do in the old days, <laughs> in the before times. So, the order, or the commission order, is different within environmental groups. First of all, I've had the privilege of interacting with leaders from World Wildlife Fund, Conservation International, uh, and the list goes on. And I can tell you that they basically take the order that I just described to you in scripture and they reverse it. And I've been surprised and, and interested to see the results. First of all, they, they typically start their focus on the outcomes. And if you listen to uh, a WWF movie with David Attenborough uh, and his wonderful British voice, uh, there's just something about a British voice that's so more authoritative and, and, and plausible and you just want to buy in, right? Um, but they typically are filled with bad news. And it's, it's, it's the world is a mess and it's our fault and climate change is going to get us. And, and it's this, this 
um, negativity um, that, that is true, but hard to hear as, as, the, as a starting point. In large part, I'm frustrated because they don't typically have a real world solution. But let's move on from that critique. Forest or other mitigating factors are their way of, in theory, bringing about a positive change. But then, interestingly enough, I found that time and again, they have marginalized people. In most environmental groups, when they have a forest they want to protect, they literally move the people out of the forest, and they are seen as a problem or an enemy. And that's the experience that started Eden, ironically. Back in 2004, I was invited by Ethiopian President Haile Mariam to take over a failed forest restoration site at Uduwatete. And I, I can't go into detail because of lack of time, but bottom line is, is this place was destitute. Even including images like this, this looks like a canyon. But about 20 years later, it was just a gentle stream bed. But that's called gouge erosion. And this site was just an environmental and humanitarian disaster. And the group that had failed before uh, Hadi Mariam's request that I take over had been expertly led by people with all the right, right degrees. I have all the wrong degrees. And an enormous amount of money. They had spent nearly half a million dollars in three years and didn't have a single tree to show for it. And the main reason is they had marginalized the people. And I mean, how many of you like to work long hours for free? Nobody, unless it's, of course you're volunteering in the church. Uh, <laughs> but in this case, these people were destitute financially and now being forced to work without any remuneration. And it just flat out wasn't working. And this is the result. And one of the primary causes of deforestation globally that was also present there was desperately poor moms who would cut down two or three trees every single week to turn it into charcoal. And we'll talk more about that later. So. I was charged with how do I come up with a solution and had to find one that worked. And that was the essence of my dissertation. And we put in a, I put, in a sense, back in order the concept of people first in a different way, nature, and in this case forest, as the, the restorative agent, and then all of the outcomes would be revealed over time. And I've been shocked by how many that, that have resulted. But people first. So we did this simple thing. We hired the local population to produce in our own nurseries, plant at their garden site, if you will, and then protect what they had produced and planted. And we did it through the dignity of employment. Because I think Jamie's shared this with you in the past. The number one issue with extreme poverty is not resource poverty. I don't have enough stuff. The number one issue is instead identity poverty. I'm worthless. I'm no good. I can't take care of my family. 
I have to worry every day for the next meal. And then you come along and you give these people a job, often the first job in their entire lives. And their job is Adamic, if you will, to be stewards of their local garden. And they fall in love with the task and their dignity level begins to rise and it transforms them and it transforms their environment. And you'll see that in a few moments. One of the things that we've seen over and over again is moms are good. They love their kids. And we now have literally thousands and thousands of children who are being educated for the very first time in their lives because their parents can afford to send them to school. Not because somebody in the US is sponsoring them, but because they have the dignity of employment and they can do it themselves. So let's review real quick some of the outcomes. First of all, there I am, 2004. It's a, somebody taking a picture of me taking a photo. I was younger, had more hair, thinner, all the, all the benefits of uh, youth. That destitute place is what we call the Udu Three Hills Project, and there was hardly a tree on it. Here's a movie that I love. This was taken last September. It's turning back into a healthy African acacia forest and grassland. Covered with trees, covered with grass, filled with birds, filled with animals. The flooding has stopped. The springs have reemerged. The farming is better. This is the order flowing out of our commission. This is what happens when we cooperate with God's creation. Isn't that beautiful? I, I wish it was on a giant screen that you just, I, I love walking through this area now because it's so dramatically, dramatically transformed. 11 million trees across miles and miles and miles of once barren land. It's exciting, truly exciting. So what is Eden's specific approach to our order of commission, as I've already shared, first of all, people first. We now have, through our commitment to mission goal number one, poverty alleviation, over 12,000 full-time employees worldwide, and another 10-ish thousand seasonal employees. Each of those, virtually each of those uh, employees have about six people that they uh, are responsible for. So literally, Thousands of people being lifted out of extreme poverty through the dignity of employment. If you are interested in female empowerment, more than 50% of our, our workers are, are female. They work really well. <laughs> Moms work hard. Anybody notice that? Um, again, education, uh, it, it's, it's been amazing. We now have hundreds of kids who've gone all the way through elementary school and are now in college, or high school and college. It's, it's such a joy. On the forest restoration outcome side, we do have climate change mitigation. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but some of you aren't real convinced that climate change is real, and that's okay. I just want to let you know, if you plant a tree, it will sequester carbon, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and if you are a big fan or care about carbon mitigation through tree uh, or forest restoration, you get it. If you are an animal nut like I am, Habitat restoration provides space for 
endangered species, and so on. It's amazing the outcomes. We've also grown a touch since I was last with you. Uh, we're now actively in 11 different nations, and we're in the process of opening three more. One of the nations we opened last year was my boyhood home in the Philippines. And we're planting a little over a million trees a day now, and growing and growing and growing. Some quick befores and after before I leave. This is Nepal, and that's 2015 on, the, on my right. And the same, the very same path, just five years later. Trees grow fast in Nepal. <laughs> and then in Madagascar, you've seen pictures like this before from Jamie. This is uh, Aranta uh, 1 in Madagascar. It's a mangrove site. And that's uh, 2012 to 2018. I assure you, it has grown a lot more uh, healthy forest since then. So it has been my privilege to be with you today. We're going to close with uh, a response hymn and then the benediction, and I will be in the back uh, to interact with you as uh, opportunity provides. God bless you, and thank you for the opportunity to share with you. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.